Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. I don't know about you, but I've been anticipating the time when we would get to this section of the Revelation. We've just finished the churches, the seven churches, and now we're entering into a part that probably many people have not studied nearly as much as they have the seven churches of Asia Minor, the Revelation. And so I'm looking forward to what God's going to reveal to us from here to the end of this book. Chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what it says. John says, After these things I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne standing in heaven, and the one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And around the thrones were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. We'll stop there today. How many of you have ever wanted... To be able to see into heaven. I mean, maybe it's the fact that a loved one died, passed away, and you'd like to see what's going on in heaven. Or, or maybe you've just been curious before to, to wonder, what does heaven really look like? And it's hard to grasp that from the description in the Bible. And, and you just really wish that somehow, in a way, you could get up and you could walk into heaven and experience and to be there in the presence of heaven. Well, few people have had the opportunity of doing that. Daniel says in the book of Daniel that he had the opportunity of appearing or seeing in heaven, but God told him to seal the book. God told him it was not time for him to reveal that to man. Then we find out that the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians that he went into the third heaven. But when he went into the third heaven, he said what he saw was unspeakable, and he could not describe it, and he was not to reveal it, but what he saw so changed him that God had to give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble because he had seen into heaven what so many people would like to see. So there's two people who've been to heaven who could not reveal what they had seen. But, but here we find out that John says, while he's on the Isle of Patmos, that God opened up a door to heaven. He opens up a door to heaven And he's going to give us the opportunity that we can see in and peer into that open door. And John is going to be able to write down what he sees. He's going to be able to tell us what 
what he grasps and what he understands about that open door. Look what it says there in verse 1. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now listen what happens next. And the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here. Have you ever heard that, that idea of a trumpet sound? Have you ever heard that before? It's described by Paul. Turn in your Bibles if you have just a minute there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He is, in 1 Thessalonians, he's explaining to the Christians who are there in Thessalonica that some of their people had died and they were concerned about uh, what was happening and when is Jesus coming again. And he explained to them about the rapture of the church that's going to happen when Jesus comes. In verse 16, here's what he says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet sound, the voice like a trumpet. That's what Paul said was going to happen in the rapture. What he's talking about here in the Revelation chapter 4, he's talking about this experience of whenever it's going to happen, that Jesus is going to call his church. And he's going to call his church, and he says, come up here. Come up to this open door. Now, now John's having the privilege of being able to come up there and see what's going to happen before it ever happens. One day, we're going to be there in that place. We're going to be there in this particular experience in the future somehow. But John, by prophecy, is being able to see what is going to take place at the end of time. And he's talking about that the way this happens is there's this voice like a trumpet that says, Come up here. Come up here. Catch away. Come up to this place. And I'm going to show you what must take place. I'm going to show you what has to happen. Look at there in that last phrase of that, of that verse. It says, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Now, that carries us back to the outline that he gave us in chapter 1, verse 19. Go back to chapter 1, verse 19, the Revelation. I told you that the book of Revelation is outlined in three ways. That's what it said in 19. He says, Write therefore the things which you have seen. The things which he had seen was in chapter 1. All those events that happened in chapter 1. Then he goes on and says, and the things which are, and I shared with you at that point that that's the things uh, about the church. That's chapter th 2 and 3 where it's talking about the churches, that things that are in the church age that we've gone through in great detail. But the last part of that outline, he says, and the things which shall take place after these things. That is the bulk of what this revelation is about. And he's talking about all the things that happen after Revelation chapter 3. He said the things that are going to take place after these things. Here in chapter 4 verse 1 he says these are the things that must take place. It's the Greek word that says this is not a doubt about it. It must take place. This is what is going to happen, what is going to take place at the end of time. And so all of this book from here on is prophecy. Everything is prophecy from the Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 to chapter 22. Everything is prophecy. Now, if you want to know how that basically divides out, here's how it happens. Chapters 4 and 5 are where God gives to us an opportunity to look into heaven and to see what's happening in the throne rooms of heaven. That's chapter 4 and 5. 
Beginning in chapter 6 through chapter 18 is a description of what is called the Great Tribulation. Those are the events that are going to happen on this earth during those seven years of tribulation, and primarily the last three and a half years of that great tribulation. It's the events that are going to take place here on this earth in those seven years. In other words, the bulk of that letter is from chapter 6 through chapter 18 that have to do with the great tribulation. Then in chapter 19, you find the second coming of Jesus, not the rapture, The rapture of the church is going to precede the years of tribulation, the great tribulation. But the second coming of Jesus, when he comes back to this earth and establishes the millennial reign, that's going to happen in chapter 19. Then you find in chapter 22, in chapter 20, you find the millennial reign of Christ. You find the final things and the judgment, the white throne judgment in chapter 20. In chapters 21 and up to verse 9 of 22, you find about the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. That's what it describes. And then in chapter 10, chapter 22, verses 10 and following are the final words of God in this book of the Revelation. So the bulk of this book has to do with those seven years of tribulation. But before God reveals the wrath that he is going to pour out upon a sinful world, the wrath that has to be poured out because he is a righteous judge on a godless society, before he spends the time and reveals what's going to happen in chapters 6 through 18, and it's horrible stuff that's going to take place in this world, he first gives us an opportunity to look into heaven. And when we look into heaven, we're going to see what is happening there. And what we find out is we're going to find out that God and Jesus are being worshipped. They're being worshipped. They're being adored. And he's going to reveal to us that the creatures of heaven and the creations of heaven and the beings of heaven, what they are, all come to him and they worship the Father and they adore the Son and they will eventually say in chapter 5 that he is worthy, the Lamb of God is worthy to break the seals of the book. For the breaking of the seals of the book is where the judgment of God will begin to take place. But before we get to that wrath and before we get to that judgment in chapter 6, and I want to tell you this, friend, if you're not saved, you ought to get saved today. Amen? (laughs) Because you don't want chapter 6 through 18 to be your experience in life. You don't want that to happen. Now, I know some people tell you, oh, that's not going to take place. Listen, don't take that chance. Don't take that chance. Don't think that somebody who says it's not going to take place could be right because if they miss it, you're in big trouble. Amen? Today is the day of grace. Today is the day of opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. And you should respond to Jesus Christ and give your heart to Christ today. But before we get to that time of wrath, we get a chance to look here in the throne room. And so it says that the voice says, come up here. And he comes up there, and he's going to see what is going to happen. Look what he says in verse 2. Immediately, when that voice called him, immediately, I was in the Spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, obviously, John was saying, while my body was still on the Isle of Patmos, God took me to heaven. 
While my physical body was here, God revealed to me in visions and dreams and whatever it might be, he revealed to me and revealed what heaven is like and brought me into the midst of heaven. He says he was in the spirit. Notice it doesn't say small s. It says large s. He says in that experience, the spirit of God so worked in me and so moved in me that in my spirit, controlled by the spirit of God, I was carried into heaven And I got to see all of these things. What an experience. Verse 2. Immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, behold, a throne was standing in heaven. If you were to give, uh, if you want to just give a title to this chapter, you might would say the opening of the doors of heaven. Or you might say thrones. Did you know the word throne is used 14 times in this chapter? 14 times. I started not to say that because I know what some of you are doing right now. What are you doing? (laughs) Counting. I I knew it. You're already counting. I promise you 14 times that the word throne is used here in this chapter. And he says, whenever he first sees, he says, Behold, there was a throne standing in heaven. And one sitting on the throne. Now, before we miss everything, we don't want you to miss this at all. Who is that that's sitting on the throne? It is God the Father. God the Father. He is sitting on that throne. Imagine that. I can't, I can't even fathom what the throne was like. But it's a glorious throne that God is sitting on. God the Father is sitting there. You say it's not Jesus? Not yet. Jesus has a throne, but you won't be introduced to Jesus till chapter 5. Whenever they're saying, who can open up the book? And somebody will say, here he comes, the lamb that is slain. He is worthy of all praise, adoration, and glory. This one sitting on the throne is God the Father. Look how he describes him. Verse 3. And he who was sitting on the throne was like a jasper stone. Now, a jasper stone, this particular stone that's that's talked about in the Greek language, is like a diamond. Some people would call it white, but really it's more clear. It's it's something that's just glowing. It's something that catches your eye because of its purity and how it sparkles. Jasper. He says, but not only was a jasper stone, it was a sardius stone. Or what we'd call a ruby red stone. So when he says what, what the one sitting on the throne looks like, it's like a diamond with rubies all over it. Now, we know that he's a person, but whenever he is trying, John is trying to describe what God is like. Could you imagine trying to describe what God looks like? And he just takes these stones and says, all I can tell you is it it was clear and it was beautiful and it was ruby red and it's beautiful and there's this glory about it. The one who's sitting on the throne like Jasper and Sardius in appearance, the glory of God. And he says, listen, and there was a rainbow and circle this word around the throne. You've heard of rainbow, haven't you? What what was the rainbow? Where did the rainbow come into existence? You remember where that happened? It was after the flood. You remember that? And God gave a rainbow. And the rainbow was a picture of two things. One, it was a picture of the covenant-keeping God. And the other, it's a picture of the mercy of God. 
God's mercy was that he did not destroy the whole earth. He allowed Noah and his family to live. But he's also a covenant-keeping God that when he makes the covenant with man, he will keep it. And God is always a covenant-keeping God. And the covenant-keeping God says this to all mankind, that the wages of sin is death, that every soul that sins must die. He also says that those who come to Jesus can be saved. But if you do not come to Jesus, your sin must be paid for, and the wrath of God will fall upon you. That is the covenant that God makes with man. And therefore, he is a covenant-keeping God. He's going to do what he says. He's going to have mercy and show mercy at every way possible. He sent his son that he might show mercy on you. His son took the wrath of God and the wrath of sin so that he might show mercy to you. And the rainbow is a picture of that. So around this throne where God sits is a rainbow. But I want you to see that word. It says around the throne. Because the interesting thing about it, the rainbow that we see is a half circle, isn't it? We see where it begins and where it ends, but not in heaven. The word around means to totally encircle. In heaven, there is not anything incomplete. Everything is complete in heaven. There are no semicircles in heaven. They're all circles. And so the picture is not a rainbow that's a semicircle. It is totally encompassing the throne. The rainbow that signifies the covenant-keeping God, the rainbow that says the God of mercy, it just covers the whole throne, circles the whole throne. And as that rainbow appears, it says, it is like an emerald in appearance. It has green in appearance. So he's trying to describe with words that are so inadequate what God looks like, what God is like, and then what the throne is like. There's one other thing he says about the throne. Look at verse 6 down there. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Now, why is that important? Well, before this throne, there's this sea. And the sea is so clear, it is like glass. And what does glass or a mirror, what do those things do? They reflect. They reflect. And so what you have here is you have a picture of God who's like a diamond and ruby. Around about it is the rainbow that is green in appearance that has the glory of God. And in front of it, there is this sea like crystal. And all of that glory that God has, it just reflects over and over and over, endlessly reflecting the glory of God, which is what? It's a picture that the glory of God never has an end. It is always going, always glowing, always multiplying. There is no end to the glory of God as he sits on his throne. I'm here to tell you, my friend, if that's all you heard today, that ought to excite you. Amen. The glory of God sitting on his throne, he is in charge, and he's still in charge today. You don't have to worry about anything in life. God has not relinquished his throne. He is totally, absolutely in charge, and the glory of God surrounds that throne. Well, that's not all it says, though. Look what it says in verse 24. It introduces us to somebody else. And around the throne were 24 thrones. The idea of lesser thrones. Oh, there's, there's no throne like the throne where God sits at, where God the Father is. No throne like that. 
But there were also 24 lesser thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now here's the question. Who are they? Who are these 24 who are called elders sitting on those lesser thrones around the throne of God? Well, let's write down a few things. If you're taking notes, write these down. First of all, I want you to understand they are not spirits. Okay, write that down. They are not spirits. These elders are not spirits. Why? Because spirits are not clothed. All right. They're not clothed, spirits are not crowned, and spirits are not seated. Isn't that true? I mean, a spirit doesn't need to be seated. A spirit can't be clothed, and it can't be crowned. You remember when Jesus appeared to his disciples in the upper room, and they said, it's his spirit. It's his spirit, and he said, here, touch me. Here, give me food that I might eat. There's something distinctly different about a spirit and a body. Okay? So these are not spirits. You need to get that in your heart and your mind. It's going to help you about this timing of when this takes place and when John sees this taking place. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Something else it's not, it is not angels. They are not angels. Why? Let me give you some reasons. Angels are never numbered. Nowhere in the Bible are angels ever numbered. You know what you hear about angels? There were myriads of angels, but there are never any numbers given to angels. A second thing is angels are never crowned. They are never crowned. You remember whenever somebody tried to worship, they'd try to kneel down and worship before a messenger, an angel of God. You remember what the angel of God would say? Get up. Get up. Do not worship me. Do not worship me. I am not to be. He is the one to be worshiped. And therefore, angels are never crowned. A third thing, angels are never redeemed. They are not redeemed. And we find out about this particular group of elders that they have been redeemed. How do you know that? In chapter 5, verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9, they're going to sing a song. And here's what that song says. Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain, and this purchase are redeemed for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Hear that? That's the song they sang. It's about them. Worthy are you, Lamb of God, for you died and you purchased and redeemed lost men and women like me from every tribe and every tongue on this earth. These who are elders are redeemed, and angels are never redeemed. So the question is, who are they? Well, I believe they are the saints of God. 
I'm not talking about some super saint out here or what the Catholic Church identifies as saints. I hope you know that the saints of God are the redeemed of God. Everybody who's been washed in the blood of the Lamb is a saint of God. If you're a child of God today, you are a saint. Did you know that? Look at your neighbor and say, I am a saint. Your neighbor don't like they believe that. The saints are the redeemed of God, been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And these 24, I believe, represent both dispensations. And what I mean by dispensation, periods of time. The Bible identifies to us two distinct dispensations. It's called the Old Testament and the New Testament. You're a smart group. The Old Testament and the New Testament. The time of the law and the sacrificial system. And then the time of the cross and the grace of God. But no matter what dispensation you are in, whether Old Testament or New Testament, do you know how a person was saved? They are saved by faith. They are saved by faith. Those people in the Old Testament, they were saved by faith. A faith in a coming Messiah. A faith in a God who established a sacrificial system as a sign and type of what was going to happen when the pure and perfect Lamb of God would come and die on a cross. Abraham was made righteous by faith. He became a friend of God by faith. All of those who were saved in the Old Testament were by faith in the coming Messiah. Those of us in the New Testament and how blessed we are. Amen. We don't have to think about the coming Messiah. We already have seen him. We already experienced him. We already know about what he did. And we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have been redeemed. And the 24 elders are of both dispensations, 12 of those representing The 12 tribes of Israel are the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament. And the other 12 representing the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. You might say, well, how would you know that? Glad you asked that question. All right. One of the things you know about what when the disciples asked Jesus, remember they asked Jesus, Peter actually said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What do we get out of this? Remember when he asked that question? He really did. He said, what do we get out of this? And and Jesus went and said, well, he's left houses or land or anything. I will give him a hundredfold in this world. And then he goes and he points to Peter specifically about those apostles. And you will sit and rule with me over the world. You will sit and judge with me. He told Peter about those apostles and their opportunity and sitting on a throne. Not only that, you find out that in the uh, book of Revelations and in the New Jerusalem, you find out that there's a distinction between the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. You remember that? You can look it up. It's in chapter 21, uh, verse 12. Chapter 21, verse 12. It says that the 12 gates of the new Jerusalem are going to be named after the 12 tribes of Israel. 
In chapter 21, verse 14, you find that the 12 foundational stones of the new Jerusalem are what? The 12 apostles. So there's this distinction between the 12 patriarchs or the tribes of Israel and and the 12 apostles. And those 12, each of those 12 making 24, 12 from the old dispensation, 12 from the new dispensation, all of them saved by grace through faith. All of them have been redeemed and washed by the blood of the Lamb. All of those are the sanctified children of God who sit on the thrones. Now, it's not just talking about those 12 individuals. It's talking about all the people inclusively who are of that dispensation as well. How would you know that? Well, if you look in 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and 25, you'll find out that when God enumerates his Levitical priest and what they were supposed to do, there were 24 courses. It's called 24 courses of Levitical work. It'll, it'll describe it. But the number 24 is the, is the number of all-inclusiveness. In other words, every one of those Levites was included. Everyone, no one was excluded. They all had a job, all had a purpose, all had a place. And it's the number of inclusion. So when it says that there are 24 elders there, 12 from the Old Testament, 12 from the New Testament, it's not talking about just 12 individuals. It's talking about all inclusive of those in the Old Testament who were saved by grace through faith. And all of those 12 of the apostles who were saved by grace through faith in the New Testament, it is all redeemed of all the ages represented by those 12 of the tribe and those 12 of the apostles. But it is all of the redeemed. All of the redeemed. Now, back to that thing about spirits. Why is it important to know that that these elders are not spirits? Because it lets you know when this takes place. When this takes place. We believe this, right? We believe this. That when a person who is a child of God dies... When a person, a child of God dies, that the earthly tabernacle is left here, right? We place that earthly tabernacle in a grave, but we believe that the spirit and soul, the eternal spirit and soul of that person goes where? To be with the Lord, all right? To be with the Lord. So that spiritual person, that soulish person goes to be with the Lord, and that's where they are right now. But back in that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where I read verse 16, Paul describes about the rapture of the church. And he says that the rapture of the church, when God's going to take all the redeemed, he says, whenever he comes down, he said, the first thing that's going to happen is the dead in Christ will rise first and meet the Lord in the air. And then after that, those of us who are alive will what? We'll meet the Lord in the air as well. But we will not precede those who have died. Their earthly tabernacle will be brought forth from that grave. It will be transformed into a glorified body. Their spirit and soul will be joined with their glorified body. And they will go and be with Jesus in heaven. Amen? And those of us who do not die, and I'm hoping I'm one of them, amen, I want to be raptured. I want to know what that's like. I want to just go up there. 
I'm going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye and in my glorified body form, I'm going to be in heaven. And when I'm in heaven, I'm going to be sitting on one of those thrones. I'm going to be sitting there, hold on a second, not as a spirit, but as a glorified body that can be seated, that can be clothed, and that can be crowned. Amen? All right. Now, what does it say about those 24? What are those three things it says that happened? Well, here it is. First of all, it says that they were seated. He saw them seated on a throne. It's important. They are not standing. They are not waiting, but they are seated. You know what that means? That means that their journey is over. They don't have any more journey to do, any more to accomplish. They've accomplished everything they're supposed to. Their journey is over, and they're seated there on the throne. They are seated there because, by the big throne because God calls them to be co-laborers with him. Imagine this. God calls them to be counselors for him. A counselor and co-laborer with God, that's where the redeemed will sit. That's where the redeemed will be. They are seated. They are clothed in white raiment. You can't clothe the spirit, but you can clothe the glorified body. Amen? And it's going to be in white raiment, for it's the raiment of the redeemed. It's the raiment of a sovereign one. It's the raiment of the judge. They are a part of what God is doing at the end of time. All of the redeemed. And it says, upon their head is a golden crown. Now, that word crown in the Greek language is very important. It's the word Stephanos. It comes from the word Stephen. And, and the Stephanos was a crown that was given to someone who had won a victory. If they won the military victory, they were given a Stephanos. If they won in the games, athletic games, they were given a Stephanos. It was a crown of victory. You contrast that with a diadem. You've sang those old hymns, says, the diadem of God. What in the world's a diadem? A diadem is a crown of a sovereign ruler. And the crown that's upon the head of God, Almighty God, and the crown of the Lord Jesus Christ is a diadem, not a Stephanos. But for each of us, we have a Stephanos because, see, we are victorious, not in us, but in Him. We are victorious. We have won. We have received that reward for faithful service. We are seated with Jesus, seated with God, seated in heaven. Wow. What a wonderful, glorious truth of where we are and when we are there. Now, I don't know if you understand this, my friend, but that's important. Because of what is about to be said. Listen to what he says. Verse number five. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. What does that mean? Well, it's pointing out this. When it talks about lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, it's talking about the power of God and the judgment of God. 
In other words, the scene that John is seeing, he is seeing something that's about to bring about the judgment of God. What's about to happen from that throne is going to be the judgment of God. By the lightning and thunder, the judgment of God. Not only that, look what it describes the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, remember seven is the complete number, so it's the fullness of the Spirit of God. But how is the Spirit described? The Holy Spirit can be in so many things for us, right? He's comforter, he's counselor, he's teacher, all those things the Holy Spirit is. But he's also going to be judge. Look what happens right here. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Do you know what and how the Holy Spirit is pictured here? He's pictured as a burning fire. Because the burning fire is a picture of judgment. See, the fire comes and it, it purifies. The fire comes and it ju- brings judgment. The fire is there and, and the picture of that the work of God and what's about to take place and the Spirit of God is all about the testing and the judgment of God that is going to come. It is just on the threshold of that judgment of God that is coming. Now, now I'm going to introduce you to four living beings and who they are. And then we're going to see where everybody bows down and they worship God the Father as creator of all. But before we get to that, in case Jesus comes before next week, all right? If Jesus comes next week, I'll finish it in heaven, okay? Just come up there and we'll, we'll well, I won't even have to finish it. We'll know, we'll know the real deal, right? But hold on a second. Hold on a second. The most important thing out of these verses is this, that you, you remember, right? Where, where is the church? Where, where is the church beginning in chapter 4? The church beginning in chapter 4 is in heaven, not here on this earth. Okay? In other words, the church is going to be in heaven before the wrath of God ever starts in chapter 6. The church and the redeemed of, of God are going to be in heaven. And they're going to be in heaven worshiping almighty God. And they're going to be in heaven to give glory to the Lamb of God. Because see, in the previous chapters, where was Jesus? In the previous chapters, Jesus was described as a son of God walking among the seven lampstands of his church, right? He was walking among the lampstands here on this earth with his church. But now that you get in chapter 4 and 5, he is not here walking among the church because the church isn't here. The church is there. And in chapter 5, you're going to find that the Lamb of God is there. And the Lamb of God is going to be the one who is worthy to open up the seals of judgment and wrath that's coming on this earth. But the church is there watching the angel, I mean, watching this one, the Lamb of God, along with the angels, open up those seals one by one. The church is not here. The church is there. And I hope you're a part of the church. You can be. Jesus paid the price for you. 
And as you find out, the wrath of God is hard. Sin is hard. The pavement of sin is tough. And Jesus took all of your payment. If you'll only believe in him. If you'll only put your faith and trust in him. You might say, Brother Mac, I don't understand. You don't have to understand everything. I don't understand it all either. Amen. But what you do need to understand is you need to understand that Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross and that you are a sinner and you need to be saved and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. That's all you need to know. He'll help you understand the rest. If you don't know him, you need to give your heart to Jesus today because the judgment of God is coming. But before the judgment, God opened the door and said, hey, look what happened in heaven before the judgment of God comes. Are you a part of it? I hope so. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.